It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. It's the mailbag today, and it's also Joe's kid's birthday. Really heartfelt stuff from Joe on Twitter today to his kid in the future uh, for for when he goes back and reads his old dad's timeline. He's going to find this You think that's going to happen? From April 9th, 2020. Be like, oh, my dad did love me. <laughs> right, because that's when you're not sure and you're mid 20s and you're like i don't remember my dad and i hugging ever no not one of those situations but i do <laughs> you know it's not like imagine if you can go back to your parents timelines or their uh their facebooks and see what they were doing when they were 20 to 30 years old this is i mean this is like what photo albums were but they were just pictures of the kids and it's like oh well, and then it was a story now you know your kids will be able to go back and look and see oh yeah this is what Oh man, this is when dad got that sweet, huge Thanos thing and he didn't have a spot for it in the house, but he was real excited. That's right. (laughs) I don't have a spot for it. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to talk about the Bengals today as well. The Bengals Booth podcast did a live podcast today, so that was pretty cool. Had Dan Horde with Dave Lapham and Marissa Contepelli all in their own homes. I don't know how they did it, but the Bengals have IT people, I guess, that are capable of setting up a nice little live stream for them. That is, I believe, on Periscope, maybe on some other mediums as well, if you want to check it out for yourself. But interesting notes from that podcast. Dave Lappin listed some targets for the Bengals at 33. And Joe and I don't think any of those guys are going to be available. So we're going to talk about those targets. And then we're going to get into Zach Bond a little bit because Lapham talked about Bond as a third round target. After that, it's just a mailbag. We opened it up today for questions about our draft process, which has changed dramatically, I'd say, Joe, in the last couple of years as we start to incorporate data as much as possible to bake risk into our prospect scores. So we'll talk about that a little bit today and answer questions about specific prospects uh, just according to whatever questions you asked us. So if, if there are other things you're wondering about this, make sure you get your questions in next week. But let's start by covering the Bengals Booth podcast, and we'll talk about whether we think Dave Lapham still has insight on the Bengals' true draft targets, or maybe he's not getting the same level of information that he used to. So Joe, Dave Lapham told the world today that the Bengals are interested, he thinks, 
in the linebackers, Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen, and potentially Calevon Chason if he's available at pick 33. We don't expect any of those guys to actually still be on the board at that point. He also mentions Zach Bond as a potential target at 65. Again, we don't really expect Zach Bond to be available in the third round. So one interpretation is that he is priming Bengals fans for a trade back. Another is that he doesn't have the intel that he used to have because I'm not sure that the Bengals are necessarily on a linebacker at pick 33. And let's start with those two first before we get into interpreting what he's talking about with Zach Bond as a potential third round target, which really tells us that the Bengals don't view him as an edge player. They probably view him as a linebacker. Yeah, I agree with that point, that last one, because Zach Bond is 6'2", 238 pounds. For normal edge guys, we're looking at 250 to 260, maybe even 265 pounds. So he's definitely on the small side. It's just that when you watch his tape, he is definitely at best when he's rushing the passer. Last year, 19.5 tackles for loss, 12.5 sacks. His relative athletic score as a linebacker is just 7.8, but at defensive end, it's 8.5, which puts him into the elite territory. So I think if you're projecting him as a linebacker, I could see why you would say late second, early third round pick for Zach Baum. But I think the other two linebackers that he did mention, Kenneth Murray, Patrick Queen, two guys that I think Bengals fans would love to have, I just don't see how either one is going to be there at 33. Well, I think even if they are there, there's this huge argument coming from the analytics community, namely led by PFF Pro Football Focus, that says the Bengals should not draft a linebacker at pick 33. They did an article recently, Joe, how every team can win the draft. And their advice to the Bengals, because Joe Burrow is such a foregone conclusion, is the Bengals need to not spend their 33rd pick on a linebacker. Obviously, this is a controversial take. For old-school football guys, they're going to say, you know what, yeah, you need, a, you, you need a linebacker. Matt Minnick will tell you, you need a linebacker and a good defense. But there's a very strong argument that the positional value at linebacker doesn't line up with spending premier draft capital much the same way that spending premier draft capital on running back doesn't line up if you're trying to build your team efficiently. And the moves the Bengals have made, DJ Reader tackling in the secondary, should reduce the need for excellent play linebacker. But you do need baseline play there. And so far, the Bengals really mm-hmm. only have two guys on the roster that do that job. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I think you could say, if you if you agree or subscribe to that theory that you know linebacker is maybe the least valuable position next to nose tackle, uh, you could say the edge, and that's why I put Bond over Queen and Murray in terms of targets for me, because I think getting to the passer, rushing, disrupting the passer is more important. And I, that's why I thought listing Clavon Chase on as a target at 33 was very interesting. He comes out a little lower for us in our grading system, Jake, but I still think he's going to go top 20. But if he was there at 33, would the Bengals take him, use him in a stand-up linebacker position, and let him rush the passer from the outside? He's under 250 pounds as well. So I think the fact that they could even target that position, plus even mentioning Zach Vaughn, means the Bengals could be looking at edge a little bit earlier than expected. Caleb on Chason is 46th on PFF's big board. That is part of why he's a little bit lower on our board. His productivity just wasn't there both in terms of PFF tracked productivity and the stuff that Jim Coburn, James Coburn does, Jim Metrics on Twitter. 
he doesn't have the productivity that correlates to a strong NFL career. So he has the traits you want. He has crazy athleticism, but we've seen this from LSU players before, and we've seen it miss in a bad way, namely in Cleveland. So that's a risk. I'm not saying Caleb on Chasen is going to go be Barkevius Mingo, but there is similar risk to that profile despite everything Chason has going for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if none of these guys are the Bengals' real targets at 33, Joe. But what were the other positions that Lapham said the Bengals might target at 33? Yeah, he mentioned D-line, O-line as potential best player available situations. He did mention also wide receiver. He didn't seem as strong when mentioning it. But uh, I think the way things are falling out in the recent rumors two weeks ahead of the draft, O-line could be there as best player available. I'm getting closer and closer that that could definitely be an option at pick 33. And I hope that whoever it is, it's a true BPA because I have concerns about some of the offensive linemen that will be available at 33 that I think will be available at 33 anyway, but we're going to get into questions. You've got questions on process. We've got questions on prospects and you'll get our takes as we get closer and closer to the draft. Just note that all this is a week ahead of us finalizing our draft scores. We're expecting to get to that next Friday. Stick around for the mailbag. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. It's the mailbag, the big one this week, not the short one we did on whatever day that was, Tuesday. But uh, a lot of process questions, a lot of draft questions. These are my favorite type of mailbag question so as long as you guys keep coming with these i'm happy to answer them first one's from carl allberger at all burger i know you guys are still a ways from away from releasing your draft rankings but i'm curious how your thought process has evolved over the years and what may be new this year or is it like asking a fisherman where his favorite fishing spot is thanks oh he said thanks i was like why are we think who are we thinking thanks for the question carl yeah We appreciate your questions to the mailbag. We know you sent them in before. Happy to answer you again. The biggest difference is the involvement of data analytics and building that risk profile. We've talked about it a lot. We'll continue to talk about it. And one thing that's going to be important to keep in mind when we do release our rankings is they're not exactly who we think are the best players on film. They're not the players we even necessarily personally think are going to have the best NFL careers. This is a tape and traits-based score, which is largely based on Joe's viewing of these prospects. And I and we'll talk about guys because sometimes Joe's too high, too low on guys, uh, in my opinion. Or just, you know, it gets out of calibration. And, and we mm-hmm. come to a consensus on all the players that we end up grading. 
and and we take that grade and we we add other elements to it that we know correlate to NFL success. And based on those other elements, we adjust the grade up or down uh, through math, essentially. But it's not like great math. It's not like we're doing logarithmic or regression analysis or whatever. We're not statisticians. We're just trying. We're just trying something here, right? We're trying yeah. to take that risk, those risk factors from the productivity profile, from the athletic testing profile, and break the break them into bake them into the overall prospect score. Yeah, and for me, I used to just strictly grade on tape only. Tape, and when I say that, it's not just are you a, are you completing the assignment in front of you. Are you? It's more of, and it's not even are you beating the guy in front of you like a like a get him a plus for the play or anything like that. It was what is his skill set? What are what are his talents? Where does he win? Where does he lose? How how easy is it to replicate that success in the NFL? And will his weaknesses be exploited? And I would grade on ten different categories for each different position. I would weight those categories differently, and I'd come up with a final score. And I still do that. Not as much as I did, but I still do that. And I end up with a grade that and I used to go, okay, that's my board. Let's draft. And I missed a lot, a lot of times on guys that I swore were good when I watched them on tape. And it would largely be like Josh Doxson. Why was I wrong? Well, I didn't realize he was 24. I didn't realize he didn't break out until later. I didn't realize that that has such a big correlation to success. And now maybe the injuries had a part. Maybe he didn't care when he got to the NFL. But I should have saw the risk when it was there. I should have saw the risk on a lot of players that I missed on. So what did I try to incorporate from that point? Okay, if, it, if there's enough data that tells me this guy's got like a 60% chance of failing, well, I should be aware of that, and I should make a note of it. I'll give you an example right now. I've got Thaddeus Moss with the highest tape grade of all the tight ends in this class. Yet the rest of the data, once I punch it in, tells me do not draft Thaddeus Moss. So I still want him in the fifth, sixth, seventh round because I still think that talent's good. I can figure out a way to use him, but it's telling me not to touch him. So I'm not going to touch him in the third, fourth, probably not even the fifth round. And that's the idea of it is to say, Joe, you may think you know what you see, but he has enough risk in his game that you could be fooled. Pick a different player that has a more complete profile. And we've gotten this wrong, right? Josh Jacobs last year we had as like a third round grade or something Mm -hmm. when we stacked our board up and he's turned out to be fine in the NFL. But his profile coming into the league was unprecedented and and we had to explain this every time we 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 talked about our board people were like oh man you guys have josh jacobs what are you doing he's, he's a first round prospect and we're like well you know he he didn't play he didn't have the productivity right. he didn't test and and yep. for all these reasons we're letting another team take that risk and and it's a running back right so it's like mm-hmm. i don't care if somebody's going to take that risk on a running back in the first round because of positional value we can right. talk about this for a whole episode, Joe. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll dedicate an episode to that next week. But our next question comes from JoJo Jammer at Wim1 Super Bowl on Twitter. When the Bengals drafted Malik Jefferson, I thought they hit the linebacker jackpot. Then we found out he can't handle NFL defensive schemes. How do you consider, when you're evaluating linebackers, the mental capacity of the game? How do you make sure, what do you look for, Joe, that, that is your giveaway that the mental game can keep up with it or is that something we can even see on tape like the Bengals I suspect my ability to evaluate linebacker play is pretty poor and I think this because number one it's very instinctual position uh and I think instincts comes from number one having that feeling and just being a good football player but it's also more of preparation film study and being mentally um capable or high level and I think we don't get to see that often enough we don't realize Vontaze Perfect was actually a really smart linebacker people call him instinctual he's actually really super smart when he cared uh but when you watch Malik Jefferson 
And in college, he had a very good profile. He was he had the good size, he had good age, he had good athleticism, he had good production. But when you broke down the tape, what did Texas ask him to do? It was basically just buy the quarterback and run, just be an athlete because you're not creating plays, you're not making splash plays, we don't trust you in coverage. And looking back, it was easy to see. Looking back, you go, you know, when you're watching at the time, you're like, oh, yeah, look at him, he's athletic, he does all these things. But then you go back and you say, oh, they didn't let him do anything. They had to come, like carve out a role for him. And to be honest with you, it kind of looks like uh, Kenneth Murray does that, where he has to, all right, we're just going to let you spy the quarterback, not really put you in coverage because you're so good at spying the quarterback. We'll just let you do that because you're an athlete. Uh, well, that gives me some pause only because we've had Jefferson. And I don't know that it should. That could be a false equivalence. But um, for me, I don't find it very easy to figure out if a guy has the mental capability to be an excellent player. I just kind of hope the coaches do. Yeah, I think that a lot of that has to come from the interviews with the players. Uh, but you can see some of it on tape. Matt Minnick actually makes a good point. When you talk about instincts for a linebacker, you're really talking about their processing speed. How mm. quickly can they process their keys on a play? How well do they remember what they saw on film and the giveaways that they're getting from the offense's formations and the motion? Uh, how much of that can they process in real time and make the right decision? And then on top of that, you have, do you have the athletic tools to, with that decision, get to the part of the field where you need to be to do your part in the defense? Because more than anything, defense is, is do your job. You heard Marvin Lewis say it all the time. If, and we saw with Vontez Perfect when he started going bad, he would just start going rogue. He wouldn't be in his gaps, and it would really hurt the defense. Stop worrying about other people's jobs, just do your job. Again, another Marvin Lewisism, but on the defensive side of the ball, especially at linebacker, I think that's very true. Yep. That's that's Next. all I got. No, go well, that's that's that finishes up. Next one's from Brandon Kuhn and he says, How long hours would you say on average you spend evaluating a player to determine a grade? Less time than NFL teams by a lot, I think. I probably would give a guy like two hours over the court like if that. I, I I am not a tape grinder. I think Joe, you spend a lot more time than I do. It, and it's the answer is different for each position because if I watch two offensive line games, I will see 70 snaps in one game, 140 snaps quickly that, that he has to go one on one with someone for the most part, you know, unless it's a center and you don't get those. But if it's left tackle, I get that's a lot of plays, and they may not all, not all be the same value because there's screens and quick passes and they're running away from him, yada yada. But you at least get 140 plays worth of evaluation. If you watch corner. He may get targeted four times, and that's it. And, yeah, that's still valuable to cover somebody, but I want to see the ball thrown at him. I want to see how he reacts, how he plays, how he plays the football, how he tackles. So uh, it could take a lot longer to evaluate that position than it does offensive line. And sometimes it's clear. Sometimes evaluations are so easy. You watch a guy, you go, yeah, I know exactly what he is very quickly. I don't need to see much more than that. And if you watch four more games, you see the exact same thing, and it's done. Uh, so it's, it's different for everyone. I think in terms of this year, I've watched – maybe 60 hours of Joe Burrow and only because I've enjoyed it so much. And it was through the season. I ne have never watched that many games live, you know, on, for college football and then gone over and rewatched games and cut film and cut um, tape and, and, and cut up videos for you guys. I've put a lot of time into that spot, even though I feel like it's the surest position, but it's enjoyable and it's the quarterback. But on average, let's say, if it's Cesar Ruiz, I'll go watch. We watched the game together. I watched three games after that. It took maybe two hours to watch all of that and compile it and get an idea and then put a number down and, and compile it with other data points. So let's say three hours to four total, we have a grade. Yeah, 
I'm with you on Joe Burrow though. I'll watch I'll watch quarterbacks a lot more because there is I think more variance to them and Joe Burrow in particular, you can see growth year over year, game over game, and dramatic growth week to week, even in this year. But if you go watch a two thousand eighteen game and you immediately go watch the Oklahoma game or the Clemson game, the difference in the way Joe Burrow carries himself is mm-hmm. is very noticeable. That's why I take issue with people that seem to think that he, you know, his mechanics are bad or, you know, I think that all comes from the 2018 tape. Because if you watch 2018, Joe Burrow, his mechanics are slower. Everything about his game is slower. In 2019, it's it's right there. And and I don't know what game it was that I watched from 2018. Maybe it was even early 2018. But the work he put in with Tom House, the work that he put in, with Joe Brady and this other, this wide open scheme that relied on him to see the whole defense was very evident in the difference between those two things. So for some positions, the point of that is to say, sometimes it, it's more valuable to watch multiple years for Cesar Ruiz. Even we watched a 2018, 2019 mm-hmm. game. That's right. We watched two games of him. So maybe I put him a little more time than I thought. Next question. Sure. My turn, Tyler, yeah. T Faith 15. What's your thoughts on T Higgins at 33 if Denzel Mims is unavailable or potentially trading back to the 38 to 42 range to draft him there? I like T Higgins. There's kind of two stories to it, right? Because number one, you watch the film, you see him, what he does on Saturdays during the season. I'm like, yeah, T Higgins is probably a first round pick. Um, there's, there was a chance I thought he could compete with the top three receivers in this class that seemed pretty solidified at this point. And then he doesn't test well, right? And he doesn't uh, really get to redeem that opportunity at, at his pro day. He had his pro day, one of the few, and still didn't, you know, do what you expect him to do, or or at least didn't make up for it. Uh, but you know, the tape is still good. He's still the same guy, largely. He just has that risk profile a little bit of testing like a 41st percentile, 42nd percentile athlete. I still think he's an X receiver that can win. So would I take him at 33? I would take him. I guess I'm saying that the wrong way. I would accept him at 33. I personally probably would not draft him at 33. I think there's um, better receivers in this class and more depth where he fits in to where I'd like to wait a little bit. Yeah, I am with you there. And it really comes down to his athletic profile because the production is there. He was on a team with very, very good weapons. He graded out really well. So it really boils down to uh, does his athleticism play in the NFL? And uh, that that's a question that I don't want to answer at 33. We've got a bunch more questions on specific players and the rounds in which you think they might be targeted. We'll get to all those next. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Back to the mailbag. Next one from Dom. I can't lose the numbers. Okay. After the Senior Bowl, it, it seems like the Bengals loved Oregon offensive lineman Kelvin Throckmorton. Would you be okay if they reached on him in the fourth or fifth? Nope. I'm with you. Is that is as simple as that, or do we um, do we go a little bit further? Because I, I think, for me, Throckmorton... You know, he's a guard. So he's 6'5", 317, 32.5-inch arms, which definitely means he's a guard. And even as a guard, 
we're talking about a low RAS, low relative athletic score. He's not. He's testing like a 14 percentile athlete. That doesn't interest me unless we are talking seventh round backup depth. Yeah. That's exactly it. I'm not interested. He his, his athleticism isn't there. It fell off over the years. He was productive, but I wouldn't touch him before the sixth, seventh round. If they got him in the fourth round, I'd be pretty upset. If they went in the fifth round, I'd be less upset. Right. Uh, it would still be a reach. The fourth round, it would be, uh, I think, a very risky pick. I agree with that. Our next question comes from Luke Campbell at Dr. Mr. Fourth. Mm. Nope. At Miss at Luke, Mr. Fourth. Where did I get doctor from? <laughs> Adam Troutman, Joe, fourth round. Yes, please. I think Adam Troutman should be the first tight end drafted. I think he's got a very strong profile. I went back and actually there's some date and tape available. You can watch it on YouTube. Type in Adam Troutman versus and you'll get a few games. Uh, he makes some crazy catches. He's good after the, the, after the catch. He's a very good route runner, willing blocker. He had a, Put on a show at the Senior Bowl. His production scores are great. Um, at an early, at a young age, I think yes. If you want to take, he tra- any tested well. If you want to take Adam Troutman because he's there in the fourth, slam dunk. I think he probably goes in the third round. He tested well, but his forty was not good. I'm still happy with Adam Troutman in the fourth round. I think he can be an all-round solid tight end in the NFL. Ran a four eight zero is what he's saying, and the Bengals don't draft anyone under a four seven five at tight end. So something to consider if they break the mold there. And because everything else is so good, do you bypass that? That's part of the process, right? Where do you accept the risk when everything else looks good? Tight end class isn't good though. It is not. Next one's from K Ball seventy eight. How do you guys feel about Isaiah Wilson, the offensive lineman out of Georgia? His recent climb to the end of the first, top of the second round selection area. Does he have the traits to be warranted of that selection? I think we differ here, Joe. I think that there is enough in his profile that makes him too risky for me at 33. The three, mm. uh, sorry, not the three cone, the shuttle. short shuttle was very bad for Isaiah Wilson. It does not hit the cutoff and does not correlate to NFL success. It's a red flag in his profile. I'm very happy to take Isaiah Wilson at 65. But I think not only does he have the athleticism questions, he has great size. He looks like the Hulk. And mm-hmm. I think that he could be a solid right tackle. That's just a little too rich for me at 33. Just just a little. Like if they traded back to the late second round and picked up a third rounder and they got Isaiah Wilson there, I'd be happy for it. But the first round talk for him is just, I'm not, I'm not there. On tape, I give him an 80, which would constitute what I think is a late first or early second round grade. I think he's a mauling, massive, chiseled right tackle that really blocks out the sun, makes it hard for guys to get around him with his long arms. Yes, he's not the most agile, but he is somewhat of an athlete, definitely straight line, uh, and just powerful, nasty powerful. And he was 20 and 21 when he was starting for Georgia, just turned 21. Uh, he's 21.2 right now on during at draft time. So uh, he is a young player still i think he's got room to grow and i think he will grow i think in pass pro he looks really good right now as a run blocker that's actually where he's got to grow and he's the big guy that should be a better run blocker but like you said that short shuttle that has the strongest correlation of any data point for offensive linemen in terms of their success in the nfl is not good for him in fact it's horrible so there's significant risk in taking isaiah wilson at that spot and there's a way around it 
And the way around it is he's long enough that even when he can't redirect, he can get his left arm out there and punch you when you try to go inside on him. So yeah. if if they do take him at 33, it's not the most... Like, I would rather have Isaiah Wilson at 33 than Austin Jackson at 33. Me too. So I'm with there, you. there's that. But I, I'm not happy with either of them, depending on who else is there. There might be a case where Isaiah Wilson shakes out to be my favorite option, but I have a hard time seeing it. You know where Isaiah Wilson doesn't get exploited is when you have a quarterback that manipulates the pocket very well and they can't rush him completely because he'll make them pay for it. And you see it with Orlando Brown and Lamar Jackson. You see it oftentimes with Jermaine Effetti for the Seattle Seahawks. It it hurts those those pass rushers if they try and go too wide or try and cut back in because that quarterback will make them pay every single time. So they kind of have to control their rush lanes and almost contain the pocket to keep quarterback in there. And I think that's where Joe Burrow could help out and Isaiah Wilson big time. Yeah, I think that's uh, really fair. Next question comes from Will Gerhardt at 2 Free Willy one Joe, you got a good look at KJ Hill during the Senior Bowl week, and I think Will thinks you like what you saw. Despite less than impressive testing, when would you feel comfortable taking KJ Hill? Do you think he has more value in an Alex Erickson role with the Bengals? Yeah, I, I was fine with KJ Hill the way he looked. Um, I think he's a slot guy. That's a Alex Erickson is a great comparison. I'm glad you said that because I think some people think he could potentially be Tyler Boyd. He is, in my opinion, not Tyler Boyd at all. I would not draft KJ Hill at all. Uh, he got our lowest grade so far at receiver, and you may say why. Well, guys that run a four six typically. That's not a great thing, especially when your breakout age is zero because you never break out and your dominator uh, rating. So your your production is very low for K.J. Hill. And then he tested poor. I'm just not sure guys with that profile ever end up being much of anything than maybe an Alex Erickson, which is we, okay. So We were really scared of Terry McLaurin last year, too, for similar reasons. That's what Ohio State fans are going to say. Well, he's definitely not Terry McLaurin. McLaurin at the Senior Bowl last year was putting on a show. He could not be covered. It's just his profile was different. I don't think KJ Hill even does that on tape. Yeah. So next question is from David Weisenhahn. What do you think? You think I nailed that one? I think I did. I think he did. Is there any difference in looking at a small school guy versus a prospect? A small school guy as a prospect versus a guy from the Big Ten or SEC. Does it automatically lower their draft stock? Do they need better stats than an SEC guy, more sacks or interceptions, whatever, to get the same place in the draft? I don't know if it's as much stats, although that's like a place you can start. They need to be more productive, right? If you mm-hmm. want to be drafted as highly as an SEC, let's let's use a edge rusher because okay. I feel like this happens a lot where there are edge rushers from D2 or from mid-majors or small majors and you end up putting them like Curtis Weaver or something next to Kalevon Chason. For one, they're very different prospects in terms of their profiles, but Curtis Weaver was extremely productive in what Mountain West is at Boise State's conference. Like he's not going against anybody that is going to be starting in the NFL in the Mountain West. His strongest competition is probably against his teammate Ezra Cleveland in practice. And Ezra Cleveland has the same same issue in his profile, actually. His strongest competition is probably Curtis Weaver. You take a guy like Caleb on Chase on from LSU instead, and yeah, if I'm considering Curtis Weaver over Caleb on Chase on, say everything else is equal, you need to be more dominant 
you need to be showing me that you don't belong on this small school team. And then we have the all-star games because a lot of times these small school guys aren't coming out early and they get a chance to go against, you know, the, the big SEC competition. Ben Birch, great example of this, held more than his own coming from St. John going against some of the better pass rushers, better defensive linemen in the country. Here's an example from last year. Montez Sweat, Mississippi State, goes in the first round, right? We liked him, 6'6", 260 pounds, almost 36-inch arms. He definitely had the size and the athleticism of a guy that should go top 15 and from a big school. Then you have Max Crosby from Eastern Michigan, 6'5", 255, almost 33-inch arms. When you look at their production profiles, both in the 74th percentile. You look at their RAS, 98th percentile, 96th percentile. Very close again, right? One guy had a fantastic rookie year, and he's a third-round pick. Max Crosby uh, is probably the best edge rusher for the Raiders right away. And he had to be every bit of good at that just to get to the third round. Yeah. And and it's not to say that Sweat isn't a good prospect. It just it takes more for small school guys, for sure, because yeah. there are always going to be questions about quality of competition. Next question comes from Kevin Brown at KD Brown 357 Assuming the Bengals don't take a wide receiver early, who are the sleepers that they should target in the later rounds? Because you're shaking your head right away, right? There's it gets yeah. it gets dry real fast if they don't get one on day two. Yeah, everyone talks about how this is a historic class, and it really is. But uh, yeah, I think the drop off hits at round four. Then I'm like, I'm happy the Bengals pick number one in round four because they may get one of the last one two or three guys that I really like which is maybe it's Brian Edwards maybe it's Antonio Gandy Golden Tyler Johnson uh you know I I think at that point maybe it's Chase Claypool I think he'll go earlier than that point being is there's not and I don't even love Chase Claypool but point is I think it's going to drop off and I think if they don't get one at the top of round four who's some late guys I like James Proche I guess I like Joe Reed these are slot guys that can help in return games and maybe do a little bit more. I'm not I'm not excited about the guys in 5th, 6th, 7th round. The one guy that I wouldn't mind taking a risk on if he's still there later is Antonio Gandy-Golden, Liberty mm-hmm. wide receiver. So a small school guy would be the reason I think he might go down boards a little bit. Uh, that's mostly it. If it's a 7th round, Quintez Cephas from Wisconsin is is a guy maybe sixth round but i'm not very excited about cephas uh definitely a little bit more excited about gandy golden i think he has a profile that could be future number two yeah one guy i plan on watching more is isaiah hodgins out of oregon state i don't have a grade on him yet don't bother. don't do it what the hell you already seen don't bother i mean right. go ahead i see if you see if you come to the same conclusions i did he's uh not an athlete he's not a dynamic athlete i think he's limited to the slot i am okay. not excited about watching like he's he's solid but it doesn't do anything for me okay next question is from evan deep willie gay jr at 65 or trade back into round trade back in round two from 33 and, and draft willie gay later in the second round yeah. is that the idea here yeah um I think I'm starting to come around on this idea. And, Willie Gay? Yeah, I think I am. I, I don't know. I think somebody made a good point. I don't remember who it was, so I apologize if you're listening. You're like, I said that. Somebody on Twitter today said, I don't know if Willie Gay will fit the character profile that Zach Taylor wants. He punched his own quarterback, and his quarterback missed a game. Or two That's games. not ideal. Imagine like, if he punches Joe Burrow. You're cutting him instantly. Yeah, he's gone. And, and, and so... From what we've heard, coaches have been really impressed with him in meetings. He's putting the personal stuff behind him. 
Um, not ideal though, right? But where I'm coming around on is on the field play at least is Mike Renner today and I had a back and forth. And my, my big thing with Willie Gay is when he didn't play enough. We don't have a good idea of who he is because he only played 200 snaps. But he, Mike Renner points out to me that the total number of coverage snaps Willie Gay had in coverage was like 280 or so, about one season's worth of coverage snaps for a linebacker. A little bit like less a, maybe. Like a Patrick and, Queen season. And, and his coverage grade in his career, is is over 93 from PFF. The highest single-season coverage grade they've ever given out was like a 92. So if he has enough snaps in his career that his overall coverage grade works out to be the best, what would be the best single-season coverage grade PFF's ever given out, on top of the physical tools, on top of, I think he was pretty productive when he was on the field, well, then I can start to see Willie I don't know about 33, I know. Um, but I don't know if he'll make it to 65. I think I'm starting to be sold on the idea that, uh, and we have a question about this later, so I guess we'll talk about it now. Uh, Akeem Davis-Gaither might be gone before round three, and I think Willie Gay might be gone before round three. Yeah, and if it happens, it happens. I think uh, you could convince me on it. The only thing is he doesn't have the production profile because he hasn't played enough. It's the same thing with Patrick Queen. Do the Bengals bypass that and say, well, he was productive in the plays he was out there or the, the games yeah. he was out there. And I think you can make that case and that's fine. Uh, but at the, excuse me, at the same time, I think when you watch him on film, you're looking at a physical guy that closes extremely quick and the Bengals kind of need that. And I, and in coverage, you do actually see him play it. So yeah, I think if, if he had a full profile, we'd be saying 33 for sure, but he doesn't. And that, it, it kind of adds that risk to it. That's, yeah. I'm not happy with him at 33. If they traded back significantly in the second round and then drafted him and, and also picked up, I don't know, uh, Damian Lewis or something with the pick mm-hmm. that they add for it, right? then that sounds pretty okay for me for the return for 33. Yeah, I'm with that. Next question, uh, Sean O. Walls, Sean, where do you think a guy like Brian Edwards goes? We picked him, Joe, in a mock draft third round. Where do you think he ends up going on draft day? I think he probably is there or goes in the late 10, last 10 picks of the third round, first 10 picks of the fourth round. He's one of those guys really? that I think will, yeah, do you think later or earlier? I think earlier. Oh, you do? I think there's, it's such a strong class. It would take a lot of guys to go uh, ahead of him. And I think that could definitely happen. You know, I, we're, we've got risk profiles on guys that may go higher. Devin Duvernay may go higher than him. And I wouldn't bet an eye because I think Devin Duvernay is good, but I think Edwards, full profile without the testing and with the injury risk should push him from a second round pick to a third round pick. And I'm hoping it's the end of the third. I think he would be a slam dunk a plus pick for the Bengals at the top of the fourth. And if they took him at 65, I wouldn't bat an eye and I'd say great. Yeah. I mean, he has, he has medical questions, but everything else is, is great. And if you pass him on the medical somehow, which I don't know how you do, but if you pass him on the medical somehow, take him in the third round and, you know, it's not like you're taking another injured guy in the first round. This is a third round pick at this point. And you're getting a guy at the appropriate discount. And that's why I say he could be there in the fourth because of the medical, because he's not going to get passed. We could, we might come away with this and say, you know, anyone who was injured, man, went in the fifth, sixth, seventh round just because teams be. were nervous. I mean, we yeah. that's, that is a plausible scenario. All right, Joe, we have time for one more question. I'll let you pick okay. it. All right, let me scroll up then real fast. Give me one second here, or I'm just going to take the one from the top. I'll let you go with this one. Are you ready? 
Yeah. I get a lot of questions about this guy, probably once a day at least. What could Zach Taylor do with a guy like Lynn Bowden in, say, the fourth round? Man, I haven't even watched him as a receiver. I, I've, uh-huh. I've only seen his games at, at quarterback. You said he was a legit receiver prospect, though, so I'm assuming you have seen him at receiver. Yeah, if you go back, uh, I think he could have been a guy that, say he plays a receiver the whole time and he doesn't get moved around. He could have been a guy that maybe competes in this class, maybe not, but a second rounder. And he looks fast enough. He pulls away from people. It's impressive. I definitely needs route, route running help, needs help with hands at times, uh, needs to get off the jam. So he's raw at that position and overall. I think he needed that development. And because he didn't play there completely, it kills his his profile. And you look at him the way we have him. His breakout age puts him in the 40th percentile, and his receiving Stats put him in the 40th percentile. It's not great, and then you would get no testing. So I would love to know that he runs a 4-4-2 because that's what he looks like. But without knowing for sure, those quarterbacks often, they come out and they, then they run their 4-5-5, and you're like, eh, maybe he's not as fast as I thought he was. I think fifth round is the best he goes. Yeah, I wouldn't want him in the fourth round. I think there are other guys that you could use similarly that I feel better about at that point. And then, like, if you really wanted a guy like that, take LaVisca Chenault in the second round. And, well, maybe not Chenault because he has major injury questions, honestly. Like, that's the biggest issue for me with Chenault, to be honest. But you could also go, you know, the Devin DuVernay route or whatever. I I just... uh, I, I don't feel very comfortable with the risk profile on Lynn Bowden to take him very early in the draft. It would be fun to have a guy that can throw like that. I mean, like what, you, what they could do with Muhammad Sanu. Remember yeah. they would do that? That was fun at the very least. They were winning, and that's when it's fun. If you're losing, you're like, all right, enough with this Mickey Mouse shit and play football, let Joe Burrow throw the ball. But if you're winning and having fun with it and Lynn Bowden's making plays like Sanu did, then great, let's do it. You know what the realest moment of this podcast was for me, Joe, is the idea that Willie Gay might punch Joe Burrow in the face. <laughs> that could ruin it for you, right? That was terrible. That that kind of made me think, oh, I, I, that's that's a really scary thought. Right. I imagine him punching Ryan Finley, and I'm like, oh, okay. But now, like, <laughs> punching Joe Burrow? Don't do that. No, please. We need him. <laughs> we need him. Uh, that's going to do it for the Locked on Bengals podcast today. Sorry if we didn't get to your question. As always, we get about 70,000 questions. We actually have 41 today. And we tried to cover as many as we could. I know there was one about 3-Tech, 5-Tech we didn't get to that we wanted to get to. We will talk about that in a future episode for you. Until then, Bengals fans, have a great weekend. Uh, Keep an eye out tomorrow, by the way. The Locked On NFL Podcast Network is doing their annual mock draft. And the first part of that will drop tomorrow. So go find that. We'll tweet a link out to it as well. Find out the shocking selection that we make with the first overall pick of the 2020 draft. Um, yeah, it, it's a, okay. it, it'll, it'll get you going. It's really, really surprising. Stuck. <laughs> you really stuck the landing <laughs> on that one. <laughs> wow. What surprise. Have a good one, Bengals fans. Have a good weekend. Hey, prime members, you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on Amazon music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 